Welcome to Part of the Family, a new weekly podcast from South Charleston First Church of the Nazarene in South Charleston, West Virginia. Each week, we'll share the message from our Sunday morning services, and then we'll take a few more minutes to dig even deeper into the message with someone who's part of our church family. And you know what? Just by listening in, even if you've never joined us in person or online, well, you're part of the family too. This is a work in progress, so if there are any glitches, we apologize in advance. This past Sunday, Pastor Kent Eastep began a sermon series all about the names of God. If you've already listened to or watched the message, you can skip forward about 35 minutes for our discussion. Now, without further ado, let's listen to Pastor Kent's message. To uh, see everyone out this morning on such a beautiful, bright, sunny Sunday morning. We uh, are glad that you've come. Uh, I was talking to some before the service. You know, s- snow is just so much prettier than, uh, than the rain, but at least you don't have to shovel the rain. So uh, there, we, there we go. We're glad you're here today. Uh, you might tell that my voice is a little scratchy. That's always an indication that the upward season has started. I'm coaching uh, the kindergarten and first graders again this year, and I just scream my fool head off the whole time. I am uh, determined that they're going to make the, uh, you know, the final 64. They're going to be in the tournament this year. So I'm working hard to get them there. Nonetheless, we're glad that you are here today. Um, I want to begin with a quote that's going to be familiar, I think, to many of you. A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. Uh, Many of you recognize those words from Juliet, uh, from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Theirs, of course, uh, Romeo and Juliet's was a forbidden love because the families were, in fact, sworn enemies. And yet in her statement, Juliet argues that it doesn't matter that Romeo is from her family's rival house of Montague, that is, that he is named Montague. Juliet says that if he were not so named, he would still be just as handsome, that she would still be drawn to him, and that he would be deserving of her love. It's a reference, this saying, a rose by any other name would be just as sweet. It's a reference that we have heard and which implies that names of things do not necessarily affect or reflect what they truly are. Uh, Said another way, this idiom makes the point that what something is or what someone is is much more important than what someone is called, the name they have been given. I think with each of those points, we can agree. Some certainly don't want to, uh, or, or they don't want to become what their name portrays them to be. That's not what they're aspiring to. That's not what they want to live down to uh, on occasion. Deirdre, for example, doesn't want to be the sorrowful or sad one. Karis doesn't w- desire to be filled with evil spirits. Leah would not aspire to be tired and weary. Lilith, a night monster. Oh, nonetheless. Or what about Doyle? He doesn't want to be the dark stranger. Or Campbell? He doesn't want to be the one known uh, as the crooked mouth. Or Mort, my dad. My dad over here, Mort. He doesn't want to live down to his name. Mort is a shortened form of Mortimer. Shortened form. All of us are short in the Eastep family, but nonetheless. Shortened form. It, It means dead in Old French. So who wants to live down to that kind of name? We can, we can agree a name humanly given, assigned to us, ascribed to us, does not have to be one's destiny or one's legacy. What someone is is far more important than what someone is called. We can all agree that is very much true. But over the next several weeks, and I want to step back from that statement just a little bit. You know what it is when I get into a sermon series, several weeks can turn into several months So uh, don't hold me to that phrase, but for the next however many weeks, we're going to be talking about something different. I want to change our thinking than what I've talked about thus far, changing our thinking to to where we understand that names really do matter. Uh, I want to talk about times when a name is significant and meaningful, where a name identifies the substantive character and nature of the one so named, where a name brings into perfect alignment what one is, and what one is called. And specifically over these weeks, again, we're going to be talking about the names of God because I believe a proper understanding of God, a deeper, richer, fuller, more complete conception and revelation of His power, His love, His care, His provision will, in fact, transform our lives. Knowing His name can and will change us. It, it, it will lead us 
uh, among these changes, I think it will lead us to a deeper level of commitment. Why do I say that? Well, because not, uh, Psalms 9 and 10 says, They that know your name will put their trust in you. It will instill certainty and confidence in our lives when we know the name of God. Proverbs 18 and 10 declares, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Uh, this name too, it gives us courage and it clarifies our hope. Listen to what is said in Psalm 20 and 7. Some boast in chariots and some boast in horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. And so our desire, my desire through this series is that we literally be changed. We're not simply studying the names of God to build up our intellectual head knowledge. Our intellect will be involved, no doubt about that. Hopefully our thought processes are going to be enriched, our curiosity peaked. All of that is true, but we want our knowing of God, His names, to be relational, to be lived out, to be experiential for us. We read it just a few moments ago, but I want to take you back to Psalm 9 and 10 just briefly. Again, it uses that word know. I'll read it again. They that know your name will put their trust in you. That's the new King James version of that passage of Scripture. But I love how the amplified translation really spells that out in more detail. Listen to what it says and how it reads. It reads, those who know your name. Those who know your name, those who have experienced your precious mercy will put their confidence in you. And so have you experienced the Lord's precious mercy? Throughout this series, our goal is to help you see God through the vast variety of names that have been attributed to him. Each gives us a picture of how he wants to be known by us in ways that will make a positive difference in our relationship with him as we experience life with him by our side. We want to know him intimately, effectively being acquainted with God. And so with that introduction, we begin this series, and I want to take us to maybe, maybe a place that you would uh, maybe think at this point. We're going to begin at the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, then I'm going to skip to verses 26 through 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And, so it, and, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now skipping to verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. We find from the very beginning pages of the book, the Bible, that this is a book that will be centered on God. It's a book about Him. He is central. He is the focus. Uh, we didn't read the entirety of Genesis chapter 1, but if we would have read each and every uh, one of those 31 verses, what we would have discovered there is that God is mentioned 30 times. Uh, over and over again, this tells us in the very first chapter of the book 
that, that life is to be centered on God. The initial introductory name given God in this first chapter of Genesis is the name Elohim. And so he is the strong creator God. He is the creator, but he is distinct from his creation. Though he continues to demonstrate care over everything that he has created. He is the God who stands apart from the constraints of time. He precedes time, and yet he enters time and becomes present with and to us. He transcends space and matter, and yet he is the God who remains ever close and near. He is a God that is completely without limits, but he wants to be personally, intimately known by us. This is Elohim, and it is the most commonly used name that, that, that is given to God in the biblical narrative, Elohim. The Bible says in those first four words, in the beginning, God. We read over those words rather easily. We've heard them many times before. Four short words. But, and again, though we may, may not pay that much attention to them because we've heard them so often, in fact, they are some of the most profound words that could ever be spoken. Because think of the vast implication of those words if they are truly believed and if you ascribe your life to that belief in the beginning God what I would suggest to us is that those words fly in the face of modern thought in control man at the center man I answer to no one man does not like anything that begins with the words in the beginning God why because man, because woman doesn't want to be obligated or answerable or dependent. Man, all of us want our own way. It is our nature to put ourselves front and center. That is our nature. I, I told the first services I was practicing this sermon this morning for the last time. I was reading that phrase, reading over it in my mind. And what I said was this, it is our nature to put ourselves front and center. That's what I found myself saying. And I stepped back away from that and I said, that's exactly what we do when we place ourselves front and center. We make ourselves the, the key of the universe. Everything surrounds us. The I in sin is there intentionally, right? It's a, it's a kind of an acronym that works or a wordplay that works because I is in the center. And that is the evidence of, of what I'm speaking about here. We don't want anything that puts God at the center. One pastor said it this way, modern man doesn't like anything that does not start with the words in the beginning man. So God, for most of us, for many of us at many times in our lives, for those outside the church not seeking to follow after God, for all of, for all of them and, and sometimes too many of us, we have this idea that God can be around, he can be involved, he can express his opinion, he can certainly help us out as he will, but as long as it's not primarily and certainly not exclusively about him, then God can kind of be quasi-involved in our lives. But the implication of those four words at the beginning of our Bible, in the beginning God, I would suggest to us those words profoundly confront us because those words tell us about the God who is as opposed to the God that we necessarily want. And it is that God, this God, who is worth putting our faith in. The God who is, not the God who accommodates himself to our preferences and our perspectives. It's not the God that bows to our whims and fancies, the, those of our thinking. No, no, we don't get to create the God that we like. We must deal with, we must, we must decide or reject to follow after the God who is. That is this God Elohim, in the beginning, God. Now, what does this name mean? I want to talk about that a little bit more, and why does it matter? I'm going to suggest to us first that the plurality of his name, God's name, reveals that God has a great desire for a purposed community. Now, that may not make too much sense to you yet, but hang on, stay with me. This begins kind of as a little bit of a technical conversation, if you will, but I assure you it's relevant and meaningful. The name Elohim is actually a plural version of the word El or Eloah. 
El means mighty. It means strong. It means one. It means God. And Him means plural. And so He is the plural God. It's an interesting aspect of this plural word that, that speaks to God, though, as a singular Godhead. So, again, hang with me. In Genesis 1, we, we read it this way. Listen to this phrasing. Then God said, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And so you noticed, I'm sure, that Scripture is using plural and singular pronouns when referring to Elohim. His works are usually described with singular verb forms. And so Elohim is a plural word by construct, but often a singular word by usage, revealing the uniquely indescribable makeup of the Trinity. God is a plural being, three persons, although he exists as one God, the blessed Trinity. And we see the fullness of the Trinity at work in creation. God the Father is the creator, and he spoke things into existence. We read again in Genesis 1, 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. If we go back to verse 2, we read, The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then if we turn in our New Testaments to John 1 and 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. And so the Trinitarian community is very much spiritually uh, and scripturally supported. Now, at this point, you know, some of us get bogged down, right? And we start trying to think up ways to describe what the Trinity is. Uh, so many of our sermons and our statements, uh, you know, become apologetic. Uh, we devolve uh, our discussions of the Trinity. So many times are, are spent trying to defend uh, the Trinity and, and, and all this kind of things. And so we paint these different pictures. And I want you to listen to some of the words I used here. They're intentional. It's good writing. It's good writing. So I want you to hear it. So, sometimes we, we, we think about this and we want to, hear me, we want to boil Trinity down to H2O in various forms like ice and water and steam, or we get a twisted picture of the Trinitarian God as an Auntie Anne's pretzel with three holes, or we crack the Trinitarian code by describing God as an egg made up of a shell, egg white, and yolk. If nobody else appreciated that, Paul Neal appreciated that part of the sermon. For those who don't know Paul, get to know him. Author Michael Reeves, he, he wrote a book entitled Delighting in the Trinity. And he expresses our basic issue with the Trinity uh, so many times that we don't, and I quote from him, we don't see the Trinity as a solution and a delight, but we see it rather as an oddity and a problem. And here's what he says. In fact, some of the ways people talk about the Trinity only seem to reinforce that idea. Think, for example, of all those desperate-sounding illustrations, and we've shared a few already. The Trinity is, and he's quoting more now, he says, The Trinity is like a shamrock leaf. There's one leaf, but it's got these three bits sticking out, like the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And one wonders why the world laughs. For whether the Trinity is compared to shrubbery, streaky bacon, the three states of H2O, or a three-headed giant, it begins to sound, well, bizarre, like some pointless and unsightly growth on our understanding of God, one that could surely be lopped off with no consequence other than a universal sigh of relief. That's, what, that's how many of us have viewed the Trinity. But maybe if we could stand above the leafy weeds, above the clover, above the shamrocks, we could get a bigger picture of what this says about God, what He's like, and what this can mean to us in our relationship with Him. Because an understanding of a Trinitarian God really says this, God lives eternally in relational community. Did you get that? God lives eternally in relational community. God's heart is a community heart. That is why he created mankind. He created mankind in and for community, with himself and with others. And so maybe 
the best illustri- illustration, the best analogy for the Trinity is when you were engulfed in a community of love. Maybe it was in a family when it was most healthy and loving. Maybe it was at a sports team when people stopped worrying about their own egos. Maybe it was in a support group where you felt cared for in spite of your brokenness. Because to experience the Trinity is to experience a community of love. There's a pastor who I read after on occasion. His name is Kevin Miller. He wrote a sermon entitled, Getting to Know Your God. And he talks about this personal illustration from his own life. And I warn you, I guess, in advance that it's lengthy, but how meaningful it is. He writes this, When I think of analogies of the Trinity, I think about Mike Yearly's apartment. When I came to Wheaton, I moved 700 miles from family. Back then, there was no email, no instant messages, no cell phone. My college roommate, he liked to hang out by himself. My first winter, it snowed some 90 inches. I felt like I was living in the Arctic, and so I was lonely, literally out in the cold. This guy, a senior by the name of Mike Yearly, invited me to his apartment for dinner and a Bible study. I got there, and the first thing that I noticed was that his apartment had real walls. They had drywall. It wasn't just cinder blocks painted over and over and over again. His wife, Lynn, she actually cooked a home-cooked meal, and it was so much better than what they were offering in the cafeteria. There were other people there, too, a guy named Dave and a guy named Dan. They were upperclassmen, and they were popular. We talked, and we laughed, and we played games, and listened to music, and drank coffee, and hung out super late. And as I walked home with Dan one evening, I thought, wow, no one's got a huge ego. No no one's just thinking about themselves. They simply care about each other. That, That apartment, it became my home and my sanity. Whenever I had a question about dating, I would head to Mike's apartment. Whenever I had a question or a problem about my spiritual life, I would head to Mike's apartment. At the time, I was trying to live my Christian life in a legalistic, in-my-own-power kind of way, which is a stinky way to do it, but I didn't know any other way. So Mike and Dan, they began teaching me how to live in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. What I found in Mike's apartment was this community of love, What I felt there was a little picture of what Jesus talked about when he said this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and will come to him, and we will make our home with him. And so he says, he says to be a Christian is to get an invitation to Mike's apartment. To be a Christian is to be invited into the community of love we call the Trinity. In the Trinity, you never find one person who's grumpy, never find a person who's taking love but not giving it back. No one's critical or cynical or jaded. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they live in this unity of love. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son gives glory to the Father. The Spirit knows the thoughts of God and prays to God for our sake. The Father has all authority, and yet He gives that authority to the Son, and the Spirit speaks on God's authority. Meanwhile, the Son lives in absolute obedience to the Father, for the Son does only what He sees the Father doing, and the Spirit is sent by the Father in the name of Jesus. Do you see... That in the Trinity, there's no jealousy, no politics, no power plays. The reason we struggle so often to find good analogies for the Trinity is that we so often live in broken relationships that it's hard to express this great joy and the creativity as each person is pouring himself out for the other. It sounds crazy, but I think it would be theologically accurate to say, God is a party and you're invited. That's what God wants for us. And so let's lay aside all those arguments about this, that, and the other about the Trinity. Let's just say he experiences eternally relational community, and he's calling us into that very relationship. Purposed, sacred, this holy community. He wants us to dwell there as he dwells in us. That's what it means. Purposed community. Also, what is God? This name of God, what does it mean to us? This name Elohim, it means that God is our powerful and personal creator. 
in the biblical account, this creation account, the only name used for God, uh, there are many used for God throughout the entirety of the Bible, but when it comes to the creation account, the only name that is used is this name Elohim. And I think that continuity is purposeful with the intent of conveying and emphasizing God's power. After all, the literal translation of the name Elohim is strong one. He is the strong creator. He is the strong one. And when the Bible utilizes the term created, it is exclusively used for God. Not once in, in, in Scripture, not once anywhere, is mankind credited with being able to create anything. No one else can create. This role is exclusively to be played by God. Yes, it's true that man can reconfigure, he can recalibrate, he can reform some things, but mankind can never create something from nothing. The book of Hebrews describes God's creative prowess this way in 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. God spoke things into existence. He created only God. This ultra-strong, all-powerful God is the only one who could do such a thing. Though sometimes mankind kind of want to, wants to enter maybe this argument that, that we are capable of more than, than we are. I remember reading a tongue-in-cheek illustration uh, that described some scientists who were challenging God at this point, and they had declared that they no longer needed God, that they could create life themselves. One of them said to God, we decided we no longer need you. We can do all these things through science. I mean, we can clone people. We can make body parts. So God, you can kind of just go on your own way. God, of course, God being the God he is, he listened patiently. And then he presented a challenge. Challenge. He said, well, let's have a man-making contest just as in the days of, of Adam. And the scientist agreed to that challenge and took it on and said, yes, we can do that. And the scientist reached down to grab himself a handful of dirt. And God smiled and said, no, 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 you get your own dirt. Some of you stayed with me and some of you didn't. That was pretty good. God is the all-powerful created creator. He, he created the galaxies with nothing speaking them into existence but I wonder, do you know him in this way? Do you know him as the creator? Do I? Do I? Or do we find ourselves doubting and questioning God's creative power today? Is he in fact the same God still busy creating? Or are we like Abraham and Sarah doubting that God could create a child through them? To them and to us, God says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Are we like Mary, wondering how she, a virgin, could conceive? The, the angel addressed her concerns directly. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so might this, God, might this be God saying to us, through the revelation of his name Elohim, that he is still the all-powerful, very personally involved creator God, and he is at work in us and through us, that he has created us with a purpose? Do we believe that? Are we convinced of that? The prophet Jeremiah, he, he spoke to him in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. It says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you to be prophet to the nations. And I would suggest to us today, in the same way, God thoughtfully carefully, precisely made you. There was that moment in time when that sperm cell, one out of 350 million, met that one egg and a miracle took place. You became a living being, an eternal soul, housing the, the, and housed in a body that he designed you to be. And so that's not, that's, that doesn't say that everything has necessarily been easy in your life. It doesn't necessarily, necessarily say that everything is going the way you want it to, to go. It doesn't mean that you understand the meaning or necessity of some of the events of your life or that you are liking or enjoying all those things. In fact, there, there are likely to be times in your life when nothing has made sense at all. That everything is in fact a chaotic mess and it's going the exact opposite of the way you want it to go. It might even be true right now. 
And I don't know if I can offer an explanation that would satisfy every heart. In fact, what I think I can stand here and say and just admit is that I know I can't. I know I can't. But what I do offer to you and to me is the assurance of God's word. That what he has created, he has a purpose for. Colossians 1 and 16, we read it this way. All things were created by him and for him. And certainly all things includes you. God made you on purpose. And God's love is designed to be expressed through you on purpose. He loves you. Is it possible? Is it possible that some of us have maybe lost sight of that today. Something is clouding our vision. Something is clouding your vision. Do you know what I would like to, to share with every prostitute whose life lives broken and used up on the sidewalks of immorality? Do you know what I would love to do for every drunkard or potential, or, or, or every drunkard whose potential lies wasted and squandered in the gutters of regret? Do you know what I would like to say and do for every teenager whose future has been crippled by failure and foolish choices, for every young married person who dr whose dreams have been broken by poor choices and unwise counsel, for everyone who's experienced loss and is grieving, for every victim whose emotions and bodies have been scarred by verbal, physical, or sexual abuse? What I would love to share with them is this God who is named Elohim. This God who is named Elohim, the all-powerful, personal, interest-taking God who has created each of us. And in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, in spite of our running, even in spite of what others have done to us, the sins committed against us, or the losses that we have, have suffered through life, what I would want to share is this is a God who has not, a God who will not ever stop recreating in us what he desires if we will allow him to do his work in us. That's what this creative God wants to do. Sometimes in our disobedience, sometimes in our disobedience, we can tie the hands of the creator. We can tie the hands of the creator. He will not overstep our disobedience and it prohibits some of his blessing from flowing into our lives. But what I want to suggest to us is we have the opportunity. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, we are told that he is willing to make all of us into a new creation if we are in Christ. If we will say yes to him, if we will yield our lives to him, if we will submit ourselves to him. He says you will be a new creation where old things will pass away and everything, everything can in fact be made new. We heard a testimony just a few moments ago about that very thing. Say yes to this God, this God who wants relationship with us. He wants a purposed community. He wants you to be a part of it. He wants to dwell in you. He wants you to dwell in him. This interlocking of life with the very God who created this universe. That's what he desires for us. Can, can you imagine it? If he is that good, that he loves us that much, that's what he wants for us, every one of us. And he is this personal, powerful, recreating God who is at work in your very circumstance today. Sometimes there's a gap, right? Sometimes there's a gap in the way I feel in this moment and what I can sense God is doing. We can't quite see it all clearly, but we can maintain our faith. And that is that constant hope that we have, that he is a faithful God and he will see us through. He will do what he says he will do. Praise be to his name. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for what you promised and who you are. You want us to be in relationship with you more than anything else. And so it's our deep desire to continue to say yes to you. We believe we are convinced it is the best way of life that you want our very best always. You want our very best always. And so we say yes to you. We want you to dwell in us. We want to dwell in you. We want your will to be, to be our action. We want your will to dictate our life. That's what we want. 
We want you to have all authority. We truly want you to be Lord of our life. And it's because of your great promise, because of your great power that we yield ourselves to you. We believe that you are mindful of everything that's happening in our life, that, you, that your eye is on us, that your eye is on us, and you are going before us, and you are making a way. You're making a way, even when it's cloudy to our vision, even when we're not seeing clearly. We claim it by faith that you are the faithful one, and you will be true to us. This is our prayer. This is our prayer today, and we pray it in Christ's name. May you be glorified, and may you be honored, because you, in fact, are so good. Amen. Welcome back. I'm uh, Pastor Paul Neal, and I'm here in the studio with Pastor Chris Riggs and with Greg Behaler. And Greg is our sort of special guest today, a member of our congregation. Greg, before we uh, dive into discussing the sermon, what's what's a little of your South Charleston first story? What, what brought you here? How'd you end up here? Well, oddly enough, as we're in upward season, I came uh, to South Charleston First Church through basketball. Uh, I was invited to Tuesday night men's league basketball, got to know uh, Pastor Kent, uh, Russell Bailey, Jeff Bolliard, some names still in our church, and um, enjoyed that, enjoyed the fellowship, got invited to a uh, revival at Chuck Milhuff. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. So, uh, and it was in the gym here at South Charleston First Church, so third night, you know, get saved, and nice, I think that was like nice. in 1988 or 89, and I've been here ever since. And what's your involvement now, what all? Well, um, I mean, throughout the years, I've, I've taught... Um, Sunday school, senior high for about 20 years, and um, did a little other teaching Sunday school uh, with a different age group, and then uh, most recently involved with the fuel band. I think that's been almost 14 years, so, you know, something that um, I knew how to play guitar, but hadn't played in so long, and then that just kind of just happened. I never would have dreamed it would, it would be like it is today, and right. uh, wow, it just really... Uh, feel very fortunate to be a part of it. Well, good. Well, good. Well, thank you for sharing a little of your story. Um, as you've listened to the message, uh, Elohim was the was the the name that Pastor Kent focused on for this this first sermon out of this series. He also sort of uh, started with a, just an intro to the whole idea of of what names mean. Uh, but I think each each of these names as we talk about them, they sort of they sort of define our relationship to God too. You know, when he calls himself something, then it, it tells us something about who we are too. So as as if if God is is as we we're going to talk about, if if He's one that calls us into community, then we are people who need community. And so I, I think as we go through the series, I think we're going to be seeing that so often that the names that we have for God also sort of um, tell us something about ourselves. I had never really thought about that name. I think I've heard it, but really haven't given it much thought. And so. You know, when Pastor Kent brought that subject matter up and that name up, it's one that I really had no point of reference for. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad we're taking this path. I think these names help us kind of understand God's character um, and then what he's calling us to be as well. So I, I like this path, I like this journey. And, and as Pastor Kent said, I think one of the things that I'm thankful for is that we're not just digging into this just to know. I think it's important to know and have that knowledge, but we're doing this to be changed. And so as I look right. back at this at this first sermon, thinking about this this name how can it relate to me how's it changed me and how's it called me to be different uh, that's that's an excellent sort of vantage point because i think yeah uh, you know coming to coming to listen to a message either through a podcast or in person or online it, it's it's not just to gain knowledge like you said it's really designed to to change us and so so hopefully that is something that 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 we can continue to see happening is that people are are changed by by the the knowledge grows into something in something greater. Um, with this name Elohim, he, he talked about it being the, the first name of God that we read about in the Bible, and he read the scripture out of Genesis one one, the the creation, um, and and I love personally as somebody who. Creative endeavors are, are one of the things I love. I, I my my wife teases me because I'll I'll bring home little crafts that I made on my lunch break at work. You know, I have a little craft section in my office with just I keep scraps of cardboard and glue and just make things. And so I, I love the idea. How long is your lunch break? <laughs> oh, it's it's half an hour, but you know I get bored. I eat fast. So <laughs> so I love the idea of God as creator and. 
so often, you know, Pastor Kent made the point. He said, we don't like the things that start in the beginning God. We like the things that start in the beginning man. And I might even you know, say in the beginning me, you know, th- we like the things that originate from us. And so it, it, it can put us into an, an uncomfortable place sometimes to think about God being the origination point of everything and and still being in that creative mode. But when we really look at it, that's the most comforting thing is that God is a creative God and he didn't just create us. He's still creating our stories and he's creating our paths. You know, for me, maybe the creator, um, it kind of stops in Genesis. I hadn't really thought much about God still creating. Um, you know, I think we give him credit for creating, obviously, you know, everything, uh, the earth, the sky, the heavens, the water, the oceans, um, land and all that. Um, but it, it kind of stopped there for me. And so this kind of, you know, made me think again a little bit about God still creating. Um, and, you know, I think we, you know, we've lived in a time where technology has exploded. And, you know, um, I, I started thinking about things that I can relate to, like music was used to be on 8-track. Right. Now it just comes <laughs> through the air somehow, right? And so all that's happened in just my brief lifetime. But, but, but you know, what I'm reminded of is that God is you know, the creator. And, right. and there's nothing that we're doing now that he did not really create. We may assemble it differently. We may put it together differently. We may uh, fashion it, but he is the creator and yeah. he created everything. And um, I know that's just a really profound and big statement. And one I hadn't really thought of in a long time. Yeah. Kent sort of led into, he had two two sort of main points in his sermon, and he led into those with a statement I really like. He said, you know, I, I do not get to create a God I like. What I must deal with is the God who is, and that's the God named Elohim. And um, talking about that being sort of a plural name, it, it's not just a, a singular name. Um, we'll get into talking about the, uh, the Trinity a, a little bit through this, but... Um, he talked about God being a God of purposed community. And th- those two words, I don't know that I've heard them assembled directly like that. So I really appreciated this point, that um, a, a purposed community, because we we come together in community, but we don't always know that we have a, a purpose in doing that. You know, it's, it's more than just people getting together to get together. It's people coming together for a purpose. Like we were talking about, you know, coming together in church, we, we come together to... To, to grow and to learn and to and to change. And so we do that for each other as we come together. God uses us to help shape each other. Um, so you know, he talks about that, that it even though it's a plural name, it refers to this singular Godhead. And so he sort of, you tie that in with, you know, we are the body of Christ. We're not many bodies of Christ as the church. We are many who come into one. You know, what's the the United States slogan, e pluribus unum, uh, out of many, one. And that really could be a church slogan, that we are many and we come together for this for this purposed community. I just really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed his talk about the Trinity as far as that goes and, and his descriptions of um, the, the way we normally try to process Trinity and just the idea that uh, in this, you know, trying to define it. We so, I think sometimes we so try to define things, you know, like we want them to be definitive in our lives. Like this is what it is, but you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm becoming, becoming more okay with the idea of, of not knowing. And I love where he says this idea that so often we're just trying to explain the Trinity so we can sit back and go, okay, good. Now I don't have to explain it anymore. But the reality right. is, is I don't know that we have to define it. I think we have seen the effect the effects of it. We, we see it working in Scripture, and so it can actually inspire us to realize we serve a God that we that we don't have to define. I mean, we serve this God that is three in one, and it has its bent, that, that has incredible benefits right. in our life, and yet we don't have to know exactly how it works. It doesn't have to be an egg. It doesn't have to be ice water. Right. You didn't the, have my favorite the, one. The, what, if you had any other, now, my favorite one was always apple I don't apple know, pie. Cherry pie. Cherry pie. Cherry pie. That's right. That's right. That's homemade right. gooey. So, so it you has have to be a whole warm, pie. homemade cherry gooey pie. You have that's the right. whole pie that's cut into three pieces, but inside the gooeyness, the 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 stuff that makes almonds is the same, right? The stuff, the pie filling is all the same, but we have three distinct pieces right. of pie, which is yeah, it's harder for me now to think about pie, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I think the part that um, you know, Pastor Kent had actually um, mentioned this author, uh, Michael Reeves, and he talked about just the Trinity and that we see the Trinity sometimes not as a solution, but more as sure. an oddity. And I think I've certainly fallen into that camp where, you, you, you know, it's 
you would hope nobody would ask you to maybe explain it, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, at work or something. You're like, oh, I'm not sure that I can, but but at this certainly, you know, um, this discussion about about Elohim and the plurality of that and right. and um, how that relates to the Trinity and it speaks to me just how much God desires to know us that sure. He provides, you know, the Holy Spirit and He right. provided uh, Jesus, the Son, um, that we might come to know Him better through those vehicles and and through those. Um, the Trinity, and I, I think that to me is is uh, that I can see as a solution. Right, I, I think that's excellent, and the fact that there that there is a mystery to it is something that I think we we're afraid to embrace sometimes, and I think we shouldn't be. I mean, the the Bible is very clear: His ways are higher than our ways; His thoughts are are, are greater than our thoughts. There is a mystery to Him. Uh, I was at a funeral today, and I, I've I've got to I've got to find this this reference for this verse. But um, one of the speakers talked about uh, being stewards of the mystery of God. I love that phrase that that we are we're okay. We should be okay with it being a mystery that right. God is three, but God is one. Because God is a community within Himself, then that oneness needs to be modeled in our community. Analogy. How'd you guys like the um, Mike's apartment? Kind of story, you know, about this about this place where yeah. you know, they could gather and feel uh, the love of a community, the strength of a community, and, and right. a place of non-judgment. It could just really be uh, who God had really designed them to be. And right. I think we all long for that that kind of place, right? Sure. Whether it's a church or a right. small group or whatever that is. And you know, I think our church does a good job providing those kind of opportunities for us. Right. I I, I agree with that. That's something. We all sort of crave, and that's one of the things I, I appreciate about about our church so much is that um, you can you can bring your problems here, and some of those mm-hmm. ministries that we have with like Celebrate Recovery, it's about bringing your hurts, habits, and hangups. But it's not just there; it is in our in our in our Sunday morning. You know, you don't have to you don't have to wear the disguise that that pretends everything is okay. And I appreciate that you know from from our worship pastor to our senior pastor to every every aspect of that, we acknowledge that there's brokenness. And and so we find we find that wholeness through our community and through through God's influence in our lives. Well, I mean, look at look at Pastor Ken. I mean, he wears sweater vests. <laughs> I mean, and we still accept him. No, I mean, but I, I think that is really a call to us, honestly. Uh, you know, because we are called to help foster that type of community. I mean, you know, so often we say our church is a place, a welcoming place, but the but once again, the church is us. We're the community, and so I think it is awesome, and it speaks to our. Our, our community, but I think it is a call to each and every one of us that uh, in those moments where we some, see someone, if we're wanting them to experience this kind of community or this love of God, it really is us fostering that kind of feeling, uh, that kind of, of, of acceptance and that kind of love that goes on, that goes on in our community. And that doesn't happen by itself. It's not because of our pictures or because of our decor or because it's really us. It's not even because right. of staff. It's because of, again, Greg, and it's because of congregation members who are just choosing choosing that, yeah. choosing that path. Right. Well, and so. he came to that apartment because of an invitation. That's right. And I think that That's speaks right. to really kind of our role, that, that we have to invite those people sure. into those life groups and communities so that they can experience exactly what well, we're I remember, talking about. I remember Morton, our our past great senior leader, he, he was used to always say is, you know, we talk about the programs we're going to have to how to get people in. And he says still the greatest number one thing is an invitation, is just yeah. inviting yeah. someone, is, is ex- inviting someone into community. Um, his second point was about um, that Elohim declares that God is our powerful and personal creator. And we've sort of talked about that some as we talked about the intro and um yeah, because I, I think I think it's interesting. I think that speaks to this idea that sometimes I get in my head that God created everything good, and everything that happened after that is a deterioration to the point of when we leave this earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. That like, yeah. like He created everything perfect in the Garden of Eden. Everything else has been man's failure. You know, this idea that then somehow God hasn't continued to create and right. do and have beauty in the world and all this takes, but it has. That is what's happening. God is creating. He is, you know, he's saying, so I, I think sometimes I fall into this mantra where I think, oh, well, everything he created was good. And then after that, we just mess it up and continue to mess it up. I'm not saying we don't mess it up. I'm just saying that God right. continues to create. You know, right. Yeah, and he's to, certainly creating new new us, right? That's right. I mean, that's right. So that's an evolving, sure. ongoing process. Right. So, yeah, in that context, I think that, yeah, I knew that. But I think in just in terms of the big picture creation of things, it's just... No, but I, and I still, he, yeah, I still fully believe that he creates even that in, the, in that yes. sense. I yes. really believe there's, yeah. I mean, 
you know, new phenomenons that we find, things that could be happening. I, you know, I just believe he still continues. We can't just say that he was the creator of the earth and say it stopped. He, right. he suddenly put the pen down and said, I'm done. I'm right, done creating. Exactly. I'm done doing new things. I'm done. It's just over. If I believe that to be a characteristic of him, then I believe that continues even to this day. Right. You yeah. know, because the, the, yeah, that would imply that he's a powerful creator, but not that he's personal, mm-hmm. but he's both, you know, the, the old analogy, the, the watchmaker God, he put everything together and wound it up and then just sort of stepped back. That's right. And that's, yeah. that's not what, what, what we believe. We believe that God is personally involved in our world and in our lives. So yeah, know. I think that's the profoundest thing of all, right? That he's, yeah. sure. he's the great creator of all things, but yet he still bends to meet me. Right, and wants to know me personally yeah. and be involved in my life and have a relationship. And I think that, you know, in that context, that's a big thought. You know, you think about people who uh, or maybe are famous. Um, and I think about people who even create who are famous, like Elon Musk, a person who, you know, definitely well-known, probably famous, but probably has a very small circle. I don't know that, but I'm just, I'm guessing, right? right? Like most people who are famous, they have a very small circle and he probably could care less to know who I am. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll get a call after this. I don't know. You never know. <laughs> Doubtful. But but I think about that's not our God though. Our God is you know certainly famous, right? And, right. and certainly is the creator of all things. But yet still is willing to to bend down to to reach down for me, and right. uh, and desires to know me and and wants me to know Him. And that that is um, that's just a big thought for me that sure. that our yeah. God is is that big, but yet still willing to. Yeah, and right right at the end of the sermon, Kent made that point uh, really clearly where he said, God made you on purpose and loves you on purpose. I mean, that, that yeah, that, that the creator of the universe, who is a community within himself, could have, could have just been self-sustaining and had, you know, never reached outside of himself the way he did in the creation. He did, because he, and he made us and he loves us on purpose, and... Um, I, that may have been around the point where Kent got choked up. I mean, anytime Kent gets choked up while he's preaching, it just gets to me. If, he, just, if he steps to the right or left of the yeah. of the podium <laughs> and he starts getting choked, you know, it's a moment you got to, you know. Yeah, you better you know, get out the tissues. Get ready. So, oh, great series. I'm looking forward to the, you know, the other new names that I may not even know of. Right. right? I think, right. again, all this helps us really kind of point in the direction of knowing him better and or that we may be changed and so that's what i'm looking forward to absolutely for all of us older people in the room i can't wait till it gets to el shaddai i think uh yeah we might have a special song that sunday <laughs> um I, this this coming sunday i believe the, the topic will be the name jehovah which uh you know we go from one that that people oh, gave yeah. to him to one that that uh, he gave to himself i mean it's sort of we'll hear all about that this sunday uh, we do want to encourage you who are listening uh to uh, join us either in person or online if you're in the the Charleston, West Virginia area. We're located in South Charleston, and uh, we have. You can visit us our website, scnas.com is our website, and uh, we have a service at 9 a.m. We have a service at 11 a.m. every Sunday, and uh, we would love to have you join us. And those are also available uh, via streaming if you're not in the South Charleston area. Um, in short, we hope you'll hope you'll join us again next week. And uh, in the meantime, don't forget you're part of the family.